Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. So happy to be with you here today, coming at you live from my That Sounds Fun studio in my guest bedroom. (laughs) The music in the background is from our good buddy, Mr. Torn Wells. Make sure you grab a copy of his album, Citizen of Heaven. You know, what we have done traditionally for the last couple of years is take next week off the show from recording and releasing podcasts just to honor Holy Week. It's what we call the week between Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and Easter Sunday when Jesus resurrected from the dead. And we have taken that week off the last couple of years. And last year, right before that week, we had Charles Martin on talking about his new book, What If It's True? And we all absolutely loved it. Y'all have asked him to be back a billion times. I have become such great friends with him and his family, and I was so excited to have him back. And we scheduled it having no idea how important this time would be and how different this time would be. And so I'm really, really grateful he's here. Let me tell you what we are going to do next week. We are going to continue what we feel like is the right decision and not do a show on Monday and Thursday of next week. I felt like that was the right thing for us to do before there was the situation we are in now with the pandemic of coronavirus. And I am going to stand by that decision. But here's what we are going to do. Starting on Sunday and until every day until next Sunday, Easter Sunday, I'm going to read to you the Bible story that aligns with this exact day of the week. So what happened on Palm Sunday, I'm going to read you that story on Sunday. What happened the Monday after that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm going to read to you. So we will not have normal shows next week, but every day I'll be reading a little bit of the last week of Jesus's life to you from Sunday to Sunday. And so we will be here, but it will not be normal shows. It will just be tying ourselves to what is eternally true which is the story of Jesus. And so we will do that next week. Leading us into that is one of our favorite guests, favorite authors. His new book is called The Waterkeeper. It'll be out in about a month. And of course, his nonfiction, What If It's True About the Life of Jesus, is just incredible. Really, you should get, my big invitation to you would be to get a copy of What If It's True by Charles Martin and read it front to back during Holy Week. It is such a good book. With the time that you have or the time that you make, uh, I would love for you to read that one. It's just absolutely one of my favorites. So to lead us into Holy Week, here is my conversation with our good friend, Charles Martin. Is this your first time doing a podcast over the computer like this? This You've only done in-person ones so far? Yeah, I mean, I can't, I don't have, Annie, I don't have a whole lot of podcasts. I mean, I have you and I have like, I can count on one hand, even if I amputated a couple of fingers. So, yeah. And, and this is seriously the first one over a computer. If we, it's going hey, if great we, so if far. If we mess this up, it is totally your fault. Yeah, for sure. That's what, that, the people will say that anyway, because I think to our friends on the other side listening, you do no wrong. You are, I mean, people request you to come back. I'm not kidding you, Charles. From about the day after your show aired, people requested for you to come back pretty much consistently since then. <laughs> well, that whole, uh, look, all you got to do is get Christy in here for about five minutes and she can uh-huh. pop the swollen head of the thing with it says Charles does no wrong. So <laughs> have her back. Okay, we'll ask her. That's what we'll do next year for couples. We'll get both of y'all on awesome. in February. Well, we, I want to tell everybody one of the things we're trying, we normally just record whenever 
people are available and release them. We try to stay within a two-week window, and we're doing that here. But with the speed at which the world is changing right now, I think it's only fair to kind of give people a heads up. We're recording on March 23rd. This is going to come out April 2nd, the last show before Holy Week. And so will you just talk for a second, Charles, like what has what have these last couple of weeks been like for y'all as a as a dad, as a writer, as a husband? What's it been like for you with all this new pandemic going on? You know, it seems like somewhere about the middle of last week, you know, we all went to sleep and then yeah. woke up somewhere over the weekend and a world set on fire by fear and anger and frustration and distrust. And I had this precious conversation with a lady yesterday. I'm standing at the pharmacy picking up some stuff and this lady walks up behind me and she's kind of keeping her distance. And she's like, do you know when they open? And she's just so fearful. And I'm, my heart is just broken for this lady who may, may or may not have been a widower and she's older and, you know, like, and, and I'm like, Lord, would you, here we, here we go again, but Lord, would you please father this woman? Yeah. Would you please step down inside this epidemic of fear and this stronghold that has just gripped us? And would you pull her up into your lap and just let her know that you love her and that she is, you have given her the right to be your child. I don't know if she is, but I do know that you love your children. Mm-hmm. So would you just love on this one? And, and, and honestly, you know, as people have cut me off and screamed at me on the street or honked at me or, you know, whatever, I'm trying to make, it's not easy. Now, I'm, granted, I don't have the monopoly on this. Okay, Annie? But right. I've been like trying to, I've been intentional in my time with the Lord to give him my heart. He's, his word says it's the altar that sanctifies the gift. So I've just been walking up, laying my heart on the altar saying, Father, would you please clean this thing up so that when people mm-hmm. bump into me, they hear your voice and they see a reflection of you and they don't get the Charles that wants to punch them in the teeth. Uh-huh. The Charles that wants to punch them in the teeth is not helping <laughs> your kingdom. That's and, right. And there's enough anger to go around right now. I mean, the word says in these last days, the love of many will grow cold and I don't want that to be me. Yeah. So when you say that, when you say praying for the father, that that God would actually father us, why does that matter in storms like this and the unknown like this? All right, this is jumping ahead a little bit to, to something I feel like the Lord revealed to me about a year ago when I was in Israel, and I've, I've written about it since. I've, it's a chapter in my next book coming out. And it's, it's called They Turn the World Upside Down. It's the sequel to What If It's True. Yes. And it's really this whole idea about God as father, as Abba. We and I introduced this, or I, I feel like the Lord revealed it to me. When you see Jesus at age twelve, it's the Passover. He's teaching in the temple. I actually think he was probably teaching on the southern steps of the temple because that's where they did this sort of thing. But that's my uh, opinion. That you can still go see today if totally. people go to Israel. Yeah. When we take him to Israel on our trip, Charles Martin. I mean, amen. We need to We're talk about it. That. So Mary and Joseph leave, they get a day's walk outside of Jerusalem. And another thing, Jerusalem sits at about 23, 2400 feet and a day out means they walk down because everywhere else in Israel is downhill. So now they got to walk back uphill because they realize he's not with them, which should encourage you if you've ever forgotten your children any place. Right. I'm not saying Christy and I have ever done that, but Reeves, we're still sorry that we left you. Anyway. (laughs) So they get a day's walk outside. They figure out he's not with them. They turn around and come back. And then it says after three days, they found him in the temple, which I think is significant. We can get to that later. 
And Mary's exasperated. And she says, didn't you know that we were looking for you? And Jesus, with all the calm just of the, the righteous king of the universe who took a swan dive off of his throne to come on a rescue mission for us, looks through the eyes of this 12 years, 12 year old boy within whose body he's housed and says, well, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Well, that phrase, my father's house is, it's against the law in Leviticus to say that. I mean, there 21 years from that date, when he says that the same people that he's teaching will gather on that same mountain to kill the man that boy has grown into because he claims to be the son of God, because he's made God his father. Right. So we see throughout the teachings of Jesus, starting at age 12, we see this in the gospel. Over 165 times, Jesus calls God father. I think it's the single most voluminous revelation of Jesus. He talks about it more than the kingdom of heaven, more than money. Really? He says it more than the kingdom, then he talks about the kingdom of heaven. Yes. And and actually, if you add in Paul, who latches a hold hold of it, Paul uses it more than 40 times. We get it over 200 times in the Gospels. This was prophesied in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi. But priests were not allowed to say this. It's it's amazing that Jesus would use this language, but he knows something we don't, which is he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus is taking us somewhere. He's taking us to the Father. That's the reason he's here. Yeah. So as, as I've processed this and I've wrestled with him in my time, my quiet time, and especially as I, not with, not as I've wrestled with him, but as I've kind of wrestled with his word and tried to figure out what's going on in this day and age when the love of so many is growing cold, me included, I'm not immune to this, but mm-hmm. I just feel like his, his invitation is, hey, come let me father you. One of the things, as I was, let me, I'll take a quick sidebar and then we'll keep going. But no, as, this I was is great. as I was researching the Hebrew meanings of the word Abba, because Paul talks about this. He says, he has given us the spirit of, do- of adoption through whom we call or by whom we cry out Abba. So his very spirit inside of us is crying out Abba. The word is actually Abba. It's a transliteration. They wrote down what it sounded like. I don't think we have in English a good a good translation of what it means. Some say daddy gets closest, but there's some problems with that. It's, it's okay, yeah. but it's not, you know, there's, I think it's there's just not a word that expresses that kind of father relationship in English. Correct. And, and oh, as, wow. as I unpacked, the Hebrew meanings of the word, I found one which was really special. So put a bookmark right there. When my kids okay. were younger, um, you know, babies, diapers, the whole thing, Christy was nursing and all that sort of stuff. And of course, she'd get up at two o'clock in the morning and try and feed them. And, you know, there are just times when they would be unconsolable. Mm-hmm. So she would return to me with this exasperated look on her face and hand me this screaming, crying, peeping, you know, peeing, pooping, vomiting thing <laughs> and say, here, you do something with him. And yeah. so I would take him and I would, I would pull all their clothes off, but their diaper and I'd go lay down on the couch. I'd pull my shirt off. So I'd put their chest to my chest and I'd try and cradle them. And invariably they'd calm down. Mm. And before too long, without fail, every single one of them would turn their nose into the nape 
into the nape of my neck. And when they would smell me, they would sleep. Hmm. And Christy would walk out and she would look at me with this just disbelief on her face. And she'd be like, look, I got the stuff and I can't even do that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) When I got to looking at the Hebrew definitions of the word Abba, one of them literally means I long for your scent. Oh, wow. And so I just feel like the Lord is saying to us, I long for your scent. Come hang out with me. Yeah. And so as I look across, you know, and I don't have answers for all that we should be doing. I don't understand the virus. I, I, I don't pretend to really have an opinion. But I do know that there's nothing happening to us that hasn't been sifted through the sovereign hand of God. And he will accomplish his purposes. Mm-hmm. And he does rule in the midst of his enemies. That's, a, that's something no other king can claim. Right, right. So anyway, that's a long answer to short question. But that's No, that's a great Buddy, you can talk as much as you want here. You know that. <laughs> so when you, I mean, back up a little, I have two questions I'm thinking about, two rabbit trails for us to go down. One of them is when you talked about you're kind of wrestling in your quiet time and you're kind of taking these things to the Lord. What does that look like? Because I would imagine a lot of our friends listening are are coming up against having some real questions for God and don't maybe have never taken them straight to Him. What is that? How do you do that? Amy, that's a great question. They're, they're, I mean, those are, I think he would love for us to bring him any question that we have in any manner that we want to bring it. He yeah. is big enough to handle our crying out, our screaming, our, our anger, our frustration. Let's just let it be honest. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to, we don't have to hide that. We don't have to. We don't have to prep. That's like saying you got to get cleaned up to take a bath. I mean, how many of us take a bath before we get in the shower? I think (laughs) the Lord would just like to have us unvarnished and honest and then be really willing to listen to him. One of the things that I noticed in writing this last book was when Jesus is resurrected, he bumps back into his friends, you know, first Mary, which I think is significant that he appeared first mm-hmm. to a brokenhearted lady out of whom he drove seven demons. And, I, you know, she's wondering at her root, she's wondering, is my deliverance going to not be true? If, if he couldn't defeat them, right. are they coming back? Right. I mean, that's what she's dealing with. And so he comes back to her because he knows she's brokenhearted and he loves on her and and then, of course, you know, Peter and deals with the shame and then then all of the the 11 and, and you know, the 500, his brother James. Uh, but the thing that he deals with over and over and over is their unbelief. And they're standing there looking at him with holes in his side and in his hand. Mm-hmm. And they still don't believe. Right. Now they grew to, and I'm not knocking them. We're all we're all the same, okay? But that's right. That's why it annoys me when people call Thomas doubting Thomas. I'm like, what would you have done? <laughs> Seriously, he was no different than everybody else in the room. He just he was not asking for much. What all of them were thinking? <laughs> that's right. That's right. So Jesus deals with their unbelief, and in so doing, I think sort of shores up their foundation and that unbelief grew into belief that what he had taught them was true because in their mind's eye, 
at the crucifixion, they lost. The movement's dead. Rome wins. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then he comes back and he says, wait a minute. My kingdom is here. I am bringing it. And not only that, but I'm going to empower you from on high. And so then we get all of Acts 2. That, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning it as I'm hearing you say it. That's, I don't know. The, that's thing that, the thing that I feel like the Lord dealt with then and the thing I feel like he's dealing with us now is, do you really believe what I said? Uh-huh. I mean, it's still true. Nothing's happened in 2,000 years. I'm the same yesterday, and I'm speaking Jesus here. I'm the same uh-huh. yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Jesus is still on his throne. He's still interceding. He still has the ear of the Father. Mm-hmm. He not only won, but he wins. We're not fighting right. for victory. We're fighting from victory. It's our job to remind the enemy. Now, yes, the enemy has a measure of authority and power. I'm not disputing that. But that power and that authority was given it by Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, no, I can't wrap my head around all. I can't understand all of it. But when, when, when my king returns, I don't want him to find me wrestling with unbelief and shaking my fist at him because all of these horrible things have happened. I want him to find me screaming from the rooftops that his word is true, that he's faithful, that he's good, that he's still the righteous king of the universe, that he will draw all men to himself or that it is his desire to draw all men to himself. That he's given us his, the right to become his children our job is just to love people between now and then. And I I don't get that right. I don't have the monopoly on it, but my heart's desire is to do that. Yeah. Look, these people, these people that followed him left that left Jerusalem. And if we follow them all the way to Acts 16, you find Paul and Silas and Thessalonica, and the movement has spread, the church has grown. Thessalonica is a thousand miles northwest of Jerusalem. Oh my gosh. The people are afraid of what the movement has become and they're afraid that it will contest the power of Rome. And we know that because they drag Jason out of his house and they say, these are those who turn the world upside down. It's Mm -hmm. a derogatory term, but it's used to describe the effect of the kingdom of heaven on this earth. And signs and wonders have followed those who believe. That's what these unbelieving, believing, faithless, faithful people like us did. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's been the the thing that feels about this pandemic and about the coronavirus is we've nothing like this has ever happened before. And it has shaken every foundation that we know, economic and physical and, and relational and that it, what you said a minute ago about God asking if we'd believe everything he said is I, I've had these moments where I felt like the Lord said to me, like, you sure tell people that I'm that I'm trustworthy. Do you believe it? You sure tell people I'm the foundation of your life. Am right. I actually the foundation of your life? Like right. it is it is rocked me in all of those ways of going. Everything else has changed except him. I've got you know, buddies in my Bible study who own small businesses and all of them are, you know, it's not good. Yeah. And the, our communication day to day as I hear them is somehow the Lord has given them and us a supernatural peace. I don't know how this turns out. Yeah. I have no idea. 
but I know he's good. Yeah. I know he loves us. Yeah. He is our provision and mine. I don't know. I don't have any idea. I mean, I, I do think our idols are being exposed. Right. I mean, when they canceled sports, I was like, oh, the Lord is serious today. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, it. Just, I wonder, Charles, that just the thought of one of the most unkind things that voices like ours can do is tell people it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be all right. We're going to go back to the way it was before because none of that is promised. None. And we can't even promise that there won't be hard financial days for all of us. But what is true is what God says about who he is and how he provides. He brought me back this morning to the prophet Joel. And I, I don't, I can't give you all the reasons why I was here this morning, but Peter quotes him so that, you know, if it's good enough for Peter, it's good enough for me. Hey, and, I get that tattoo. I love Peter. And somewhere in Joel 2, 20, 2, 30, something like that, the, the, the prophet says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then he talks about dreams and visions. and But then he says, you know, the days may get darker. Columns of smoke, the, the moon may be turned to blood. But there's a reason. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That word also can be translated delivered. The Lord is far more interested in our salvation and our deliverance than in our IRA and our stock, what value, and, and I'm not knocking those things. You know, I, I hope your stock portfolio crushes it this year. I hope it comes back, all that sort of stuff, whatever. But you ain't taking it with you, honey. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I felt like he reminded me today that he's far more interested in our holiness than our happiness. Yeah. And he will he will accomplish his purposes and it's for his glory. And the son is going to bring his children back to his father, mm -hmm. no matter what it takes. And if he's got to tear down our idols in the process, then just tear them down. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I almost feel like asking him, is there any others I'm holding on to? Cause I'll just go ahead and give them to you. <laughs> you ain't going to rip them out of my hands. I'll just hand them to you at this point, Lord. Charles, I would love for you to talk about, cause it, well, here's what happened to me yesterday in my reading as I was reading Luke four. And at some point Jesus mentions, and Elijah was sent to the widow in this town that starts with a Z. And I went like, who, how have I never seen that before? Who is this widow he's talking about? And it just sent me on this wild goose chase that ended up meaning a ton to me yesterday because it's this widow. You probably know the story. It's this widow in first Kings and how she and her son are down to their last bit of flour and oil and they're collecting sticks to make a fire to make the last piece of bread they can make before they die. Right. And God sends Elijah to them and it it the miraculously there's enough uh flour and oil for a lot of bread for a lot of days. Right. And I just was blown away that that there are just times for me and it sounds like it happens to you too. I'd love for you to talk more about it that when you start reading the scripture that was just like assigned in the reading plan whatever your reading plan is when things jump out, it sounds to me like you do what I do, where I stop and go, why did that jump out to me? Totally. And then chase it down. That seems to be what you do. I do. I totally get caught in rabbit trails. I have a good yeah. friend who has read through, he's my buddy Dave, has read through scripture 
in its entirety, 30, last, I, last wow. time I asked him last year, it was like 36 times. Start to finish of the whole Bible. Yeah. And oh my gracious. So, I mean, a lot of times, you know, even this morning we were talking and I'm asking, I'm saying, why do I need a concordance when I have you? So but, <laughs> like I get caught in these rabbit trails, for instance, i.e. this morning, somehow or another, I got stuck on the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus says, well, before Jesus says anything to him, Zacchaeus makes this strange confession. I confess, you know, if I've taken anyone, anything from anyone, I pay it back fourfold. So there's a, there's a thing happening, a piercing by the power of the Holy Spirit that's happening in Zacchaeus before Jesus, I think, really proclaims anything to him. Right. And then Jesus says this beautiful thing where he says, salvation has come to your house. And it's for this reason that I came to seek and save the lost. And I'm looking at it going, hmm, why why does Zacchaeus do that? Well, before too long, I'm in Ezekiel 34, where the prophet Ezekiel is talking about the shepherd to the house of Israel. And when you see that description of the shepherd that is coming to the house of Israel, the language that is continually used is the word seek, which is used over three times, four four times, and the word salvation. So I think when Zach, I can't prove this, don't know it. It's just my opinion. There are people that are listening to this that have far better theological, you know, whatever than I do. But here's my opinion, okay? I think Zacchaeus who knows the word better than I mm-hmm. is looking at Jesus going, that's the shepherd of Israel. And he's pierced by the power of the Holy spirit. And he be- he begins in confession and repentance because he knows he's the shepherd. And in that, in that passage in his, in Ezekiel 34, it talks about how the stronger sheep have butted the, the, the weaker sheep out of the way and they've muddied the waters. And uh-huh. I think Zacchaeus is looking at his own record saying, I did that. I'm guilty. Oh, wow. And then Jesus in his beautiful mercy, because he desires mercy and not sacrifice, mm-hmm. says to Zacchaeus, not condemnation, not, you know, fire breathing shame. He just says, hey, salvation's come to your house. And I came to seek and save the lost. So anyway, it's a rabbit trail, but it's a beautiful rabbit trail. And I'm sticking with my story. I think Zacchaeus thinks Ezekiel 34. Prove me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Prove me wrong, Annie. I dare you. (laughs) No, I just love it. What makes you chase down the rabbit trails versus just keep reading? I don't know. There's a thing that happened several years ago in in looking at like words just... I don't know. There were words that just began jumping off the page at me. It's like I'd be reading... And a word would be bold and put in bold print or in, in italicized print. And I mean, not really in the text, but like mm-hmm. in my mind's eye as I'm reading it. And I think the more you read it, the more you see commonalities in words and more, the more some words sort of stand out to you and you go, huh, I wonder why they use that word. So I just, you know, you get to dig in and it's like mining for gold. And yes, I, I just, I don't know. I, I just, I just love it. I do too. It has changed my life, not to be dramatic. It's changed my life, but it's particularly changed my Bible reading when I will read what's assigned, whatever my Bible reading plan is. Like this year, I'm looping through the Gospels every month. And so I'm reading them in a different translation 
every month, but doing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and the fact that I had read that exact same story at least three times already this year. <laughs> and I, and I, and I didn't get stopped any other time by it, you know? And Whoa. so I, it, we just, we, it, I love to encourage my friends who are listening when they're reading the Bible, if a word jumps out at you or a name jumps out at you and a question mark comes to your mind, there's a real chance God may intend for you to chase that rabbit. Yeah, I think because there's right. a gift for you. Well, there's also something really beautiful about the word that I've learned. And again, I'm not the first one to learn this, but the the word is is like a a million sided faceted diamond. Mm. I mean, there no no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor mind conceived what he has in store for those of us who love him. Yeah. We we're the created, we're clay. I mean, we can't fathom who he is, how he thinks, all that, you know, just so there is a lifetime's worth of unmined gems in his word. Mm-hmm. We'll just hang in there with it. And I think he he gives them to us when we need them in whatever place that we are, because he knows what we need. How has that impacted your storytelling? Watching, knowing what how scripture changes people's lives. How has that impacted how you tell stories and write stories? Oh, that's a good one. I don't, you know, it's funny. Like I sit here in this chair because I'm I'm literally in my writing chair as we speak. And I have, you know, I write fiction and it's this, you know, I'm in la la land and I'm eyes working all the levers and you know, I'm it's I'm writing the stories I like to read, and I'm yes, I'm chasing themes of redemption, but I'm not necessarily trying to to write a theme of redemption. It's just sort of the way my but you always do. Comes. You're not trying to. You always do. Well, it's not. I don't. I don't sit down with a. Gee, let me write this. Let me write this. Um, you know, Bible story out in long form. Mm. Um, even with long way gone, you know, the story about the prodigal, I, I didn't sit down with, let me retell the prodigal. Sure. I had been in Luke 15, which tells the story of lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And the, you know, the Lord had revealed to me this whole picture about the son and his, his repentance and his return and how the father meets him. And then it says he covered his face in kisses and I was just kind of blown away with that. So then the story kind of bubbles up. I mean, Jesus says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm-hmm. So I guess if I pour enough of it in there, the stories that rise up, they've got to have something to do with that. I can't right. help but that be the case. Yeah. But it's not always intentional. Now, contrast that with the flip side of me, which I don't even know how to explain it, but there's another side of me that would that's written what if it's true and now they turn the world upside down and i'm and very when does they turn the world upside down come out charles january of next year the reason okay. for that is there's probably going to be a rather contentious election this fall yeah. and we didn't want to compete with that dude me too my next one doesn't come out till february of next year for that exact reason <laughs> ain't no. nobody trying to have a book come out in no in february i mean in uh, november no i know Okay, so but Waterkeeper comes next, and then it'll be the next nonfiction in the winter. Correct. Let me not let me not confuse people. If this podcast comes out the first week in April, I do have a novel coming out 
literally a month from now, yes. May May fourth or fifth, which is called the Waterkeeper. I think it's a beautiful story. Yes, I love it. We can talk more about that in a minute. But I, I do have a yeah. novel in May, and then they turn the world upside down in January. But I sort of have these two sides of me that write, and I don't know. Maybe I find comfort that C.S. Lewis, and I'm not comparing me to Lewis. I mean, who was you're it? welcome Saint, to Saint, here. Saint Bernard had that doctrine of Christian humility. He said that we're all dwarfs perched atop the shoulders of giants. Well, honey, Lewis is a giant. Okay, so. I'm looking at me in my writing, wondering how in the world did I get here? I'm pretty Mm -hmm. comfortable in both veins right now. I love doing both. If they let me keep writing nonfiction, I'm going to keep writing it. If they let me keep writing fiction, I'm going to keep writing it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to tell you my brain switches gears between either one. Yeah. Well, because you're using the same skill set. You're just telling stories from your head or stories that are true. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but and part of it, yeah, and I'm trying to be true to the word, although if you've read What If It's True, you do realize I take some fictional license. But when I do that, I'm at least telling you, hey, the word is over here. I can't yeah. prove to you what I'm saying. I am t- taking some license, but I'm trying to bring you into what it might have felt like. And And I'm not saying I got it all figured out or that my version is right or true, but it's a possibility. Yeah. And that's, again, we said this last year because you're back on on the exact same show as last year that I would, I'm really encouraging people to read What If It's True for Holy Week next week. Like what a great thing to slow your life down a little bit more and set aside a little more reading time that we've had plenty of slowing down of our lives, but set aside some real reading time during Holy Week because I feel like What If It's True is one of the best tellings of Jesus's life in a True, but detail added ways <laughs> that make it so readable. I love it. Well, you know, I love it, but I love that book. It's been a lot of fun to hear the stories and see what the Lord has done with that book. Uh, I now have a friend that's got a prison ministry, and he he has 160 women in three different prisons in the state of Florida that are in his class, and it's a you know it's a 12 week class, and they get a certificate yeah. and He's teaching what if it's true. And over a hundred of these women are lifers, meaning a, a, a sentence of 30 years or greater with no chance of parole. Oh, wow. And yet, I think some of those women in prison are more free than many of us on the outside because <laughs> the Lord has broken the chains to the stuff that bound them. Yeah, yeah. And I love hearing the stories about how he used this this book i will never forget standing in front of this lady i was i was in prison doing some ministry stuff and this i asked this lady i said how can i pray for you and she's looking at my book and i just finished teaching on forgiveness and she said i i need to forgive them boys that killed my babies oh wow and i but god right. was all oh, I me mean, i just like lord i didn't do that that's just you Mm-hmm. So seeing what he's done through it blesses me. I love being a part of it. I'm, I'm thankful that he gave me the space with my publisher to do it. I had several people tell me that it would wreck my fiction career. Okay. Really? But at the, of, at the end of the day, I'm going to stand before the father and I'm accountable for what he gives me. Yes. And by your words, you'll be judged. Those that are ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of before my father in heaven. And I don't want to, I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. 
So right. anyway, do I'm you feel like it's messed with your fiction career? Uh, no, miraculously, I didn't put out a, uh, a novel last year and my backlist sales actually increased over the year before. Yeah. Won't he do that? The Lord just handles that stuff. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know that going in. I mean, Christine sure. literally just laid it down before the father and said, Lord, your will be done. I mean, Psalm 45 has really become something true for me. Like I, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. And I, mm. I pray that I pray that I, I stay there, that I stay in that place where it's not about me you know, all that foolishness. And I'm, I'm still meek and teachable and I can hear him enough to be able to write the stories that maybe he's wanting to tell. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation with Charles to thank our partner for today, making this show possible, the Abide app. If the first thing you do when you wake up is look at your phone <laughs> and then try this, instead of checking social media or checking the news, what if you opened the Abide app and started your day in the spirit and the peace of Christ? Abide is the number one Christian meditation app. Abide users report less stress, lower levels of anxiety and depression, and better sleep. Start your day with Abide's daily meditation. Based on biblical scripture, these audio meditations will center you and draw you closer to Christ. For a limited time, my friends get 25% off a premium subscription when you visit abide.co slash sounds fun. Abide's meditations start at about two minutes long and they're easy to fit in your schedule and feature topics like overcoming anxiety, managing stress, addiction, and recovery, finding forgiveness, and more. And at the end of the day, you can find deep rest with Abide's bedtime stories. Based on the Bible, they are great for kids and adults. So join the millions of people using Abide, including Grammy award-winning singers, church leaders, and Christians just like you. So get started now with 25% off a premium subscription by downloading the Abide app at abide.co slash sounds fun. You'll get additional stories and meditations, premium music, soothing sounds, and more. So you can support this show and get 25% off by going to abide.co slash sounds fun. That's A-B-I-D-E dot C-O slash sounds fun to download the Abide app and get 25% off your premium subscription. So I hope you guys will try that. Let me know what you think. I have loved it. I think you will too. And now back to our show with Charles. I don't know if your son has told you this yet, but for our friends listening, your son, John T and I are buddies at church. And we see each other almost every Sunday. And a couple of weeks ago, before the tornado came through Nashville and before coronavirus, I did he tell you this right? I yelled at him across the parking garage. <laughs> yeah, I just, did. I recognized his gait. That's how good of buddies we've become. I didn't see his face. I saw him walking and I knew it was John T. And I yelled and I said, where, you told me you were going to bring me the water keeper. Where is it? Oh. You said you were bringing me the new one. Where is it? And he said, oh yeah, yeah. I'll bring it next week. Oh, and he didn't you know. I got to get on to him about that. He didn't bring it. He didn't bring it because partly because there was a tornado, but also, come on, John T. You know <laughs> that I want to read the new book. So that is your son and I are in a fight right now, and he doesn't even know. <laughs> hey, you, you, John T. Just came in here and said that's. Was he yelling? Was Did he know I was telling the story about it right then? Yeah, he's just walking. He heard you talking about him. <laughs> well, the overarching statement is I adore him. The secondary is he was supposed to bring me Waterkeeper, and he didn't. 
All right, we'll have to remedy that. But <laughs> will you tell me about Waterkeeper? What's this one about? Uh, yeah, first of all, for, let me say this: for a dad with sons in college, I now have two in college, and you know, I mean, just because they leave the house doesn't mean they somehow less mean less to your heart. So, sure, it's been a great comfort for us for him to find Crosspoint and mm. to be befriended, to have you hug his neck when he walks in to be under the teaching of Kevin Queen or Queenie for for Queen to, you know, come in and fist bump him and know his name. And like for the body of Christ to do what the body of Christ does, I'm just thankful. I don't know how, I don't know how I'd make it in life without the body. Seriously. Truly. I I mean, if there's amongst other things we've learned in this spring, how would we do this? If, if we didn't have each other, I, I, I just don't know. Yeah. The water, so thank you for loving on my boy. The waterkeeper is um, the waterkeeper is at, about a priest who is asked by his best friend to bury his ashes at the end of the world where they meet, which is down around Key West or in between Key West and the Dry Tortugas. So he hops in his boat and starts island down the intercoastal. It starts in the northeast corner of Florida, South Georgia. The intercoastal basically runs from Maine to Key West on the inside. And it's a way to travel to, to, to travel the water, to travel the coastline without getting out in rough water. Ah, okay. And so he hops in his boat and begins sort of idling down, remembering his best friend. And he intersects a lady at St. Augustine who is trying to find her daughter who's run away. And what you realize is, her daughter has joined up on a party ship, which is actually a, a sex slave ship, and she has been taken into the sex trade. There's a, actually an auction on the black market, and she's going to be auctioned off by the time they get to Key West, so the clock is ticking. Mm-hmm. And what you learn quickly is that the priest is not a priest. He's also a priest, but he's also done this a lot of times. Ah. And in reality, he's really good at leaving the 99 to go find the one. Okay. It's a beautiful story of rescue, in my opinion. I think my writing took a, like the boys will tell you, one of the things that happened was that Charlie, our oldest son, read it. And his response on social media was so strong that we just used his review on Amazon. So if you <laughs> want to know what Charlie thinks, go to Amazon, bring up the waterkeeper. And that's my son's Instagram post. Just because yeah. it was like, okay, well, he says that pretty good. Let's just use that. Oh, my gosh. So it's a, it was a neat story to write. I love the character. I love what I got to say through him. I love the love story that develops. And not only that, but it, it's such a, he's such a strong character that I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I'm sitting at my desk right now. I'm looking at the sequel to that novel. Oh, yes. So Excellent um, news. it's the first time I've ever taken a character into intentionally into a sequel. Now, really, even with the Maggie ones, this is yeah, where you, I know too much. Look this at, is where I'm too big of a fan, Charles Martin. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. You can look at the Dead Don't Dance and Maggie, and they definitely use the same characters. But Maggie was my fourth book. I didn't know I was going to write Maggie when I wrote The Dead Don't Dance. Got it. Okay, okay, I, I okay. finished The Waterkeeper, and I said to Amanda, my publisher, hey, I'd like to I'd like to see if I could do this. And right. she said, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm now 
so many of the guys that I read, Daniel Silva being maybe the best, I think, at the game, use the same character over and over. And so the same world. And, the, and there's so many things about that that are cool as a writer, but then you also have to come up with a new tension and arc and plot line. And yeah, sure. so I'm learning to do some things differently. So are right now, are you working on a nonfiction and a fiction at the exact same time? Are you writing both of those at the same time? No, I have finished. They turned the world upside down. It is what's been through. Well, let me, let me say this. Because it is nonfiction, because it deals with scripture, before I ever handed it to the to my editor, I gave it to nine people that I know who know the word better than me and who I trust to help me not stand and step in theological landmines that I mm-hmm. don't want to step in. So I gave it to them, sure. got all their feedback, spent a whole lot of time trying to rewrite because there are words that just in using words, they put me in camps that I don't necessarily know I'm in that camp when I use that word. Uh-huh. Right. Right. And if I'm going to be in that camp, I just need to know it. Like, okay, you're there. If you want to be there, great. Just know that that's where you are. Yeah. So that process I finished. I've now been through my substantive editor, Sam, who I love and I'm thankful for. And now it's with the copy editors. And so I'm grateful for copy editors on a pretty major scale. But no, to answer your question, I'm not simultaneously writing two books at once. Yeah, I was going to be real impressed because I cannot do that. No, I can't. I, if you, you can ask Christy. She can multitask on levels that are stratospherically beyond me. I'm, I'm really good at doing one thing to completion, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I'm not good at doing two things at once. And yeah. so I had to get – they turned the world upside down out of my – cranium and sort of get my bandwidth off that. And literally I finished it on a Friday and on Monday I opened word and a new white page and wrote the word the, and I was off and running. You are kidding. You didn't even take, you didn't take more than the weekend off between writing two books. No, I, I got you a deadline. Coolest. So, and, and I don't say that disparagingly of my deadline. I'm grateful to have a deadline. A deadline For is sure. a great, a, a deadline is a great problem to have. That's right. it, it, it sometimes it is a problem, but, That's right. <laughs> but it's a great one to have, and I'm thankful that, like, you know, I'm I'm thankful to have one. So, uh, I'm I'm like now. Granted, through the weekend, I did spend some time with the Lord. Like, Lord, that one took everything I had. Yeah, I do feel like my well is a little bit empty. Most often, my writer's well is a seep well, and it takes some days and weeks and months to fill back up mm-hmm. right now. I don't have time for that. So I need you to speak to the rock and like bust it open. And I need yeah. rings of living water flowing up. I got to write a book like now. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel like you did? I felt like the first couple of weeks I was in a little bit of a quagmire. That's not to say I wasn't writing, but I hadn't found the scent of the story, if that makes sense. Yeah, I hadn't found yeah. my stride. I hadn't found, like, there's a thing that happens when I feel the feelings of the character. And, and I know that I'm in those when the dialogue of that character is very natural. Mm-hmm. And the first couple of weeks, it was stilted. And then there was this thing that happened where I was like, oh, there he is. Yeah. Sure. That's yeah. There he is. Okay. Yep. Good. Now we're off and running. Yeah, I experienced that. So, like with the one I just finished that comes out in February, 
where you just have to keep writing the first couple of weeks. And people are like, what's your book about? And I'm like, I'm not really sure. I know what I wrote today, but I don't know the whole book yet. I'm just starting to draw out, put all the ingredients on the counter. And I bet in a couple of weeks, I'll know what I'm actually cooking here. Totally. And that's So I'm glad to know that happens to you too. Whenever something happens to you in writing and I've done any percent of that, I'm like, okay, this is what a pro writer does. I'm I'm catching up. I've had people say things, you know, about my process where they think, you know, I'm, I outline and I know what I'm doing and, you know, all of that. And sometimes I do, sometimes, sometimes I do, but I sweat my books probably far more than I write them. Mm-hmm. And I'm a much better rewriter than I am writer. Really? Just is, getting the first one out is what matters most? Yeah, that assumes two things. One is you got to put your backside in the chair long enough to write something and most people i bump into that say they want to be writers are really enamored with this whole part of it like the thing you and i are doing where we're talking Mm -hmm. about being a writer the whole you know tweed jacket you know smoking pipe (laughs) that whole thing right 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 that's not that's not you know being a writer is 10 hours behind a screen day after day after day just showing up I mean, literally showing up is like yep. 90% of it. That's right. And, and turning then, off your internet, showing up and turning off the internet. Amen. And then learning to rewrite and that some words are sacred, but most are not. And learning control alt delete is a really good skill. Yeah. And sometimes you got to get the 5,000 out of the way to say the 500 that matter. Yep. That's right. And I always try to tell my editor if something feels precious to me. If something, there's a difference between writing something good and writing something precious. <laughs> I'm like, you can do whatever you want with this chapter, but these three sentences feel like they're precious. So Correct. will you talk to me before you touch those? Absolutely. And I've, I feel like after doing this for as, the amount of time I've gotten to write books, I've, I've learned what feels precious to me. Like, and, and I don't want to be overly spiritual, but the ones that feel precious are to me the, are the ones that when I'm typing, I go, oh, I'm barely a part of this. This feels like a download. And, and it's the Lord trying to say something. It feels like I could be wrong on that, but that's how it feels in those moments. And so I say to my editor, you can mess with all this, but we got to leave this because that feels like a, a responsibility, not just a sentence. I think the single, and I'm revealing something I really haven't told a lot of people here. So okay. <laughs> keep it, I'll keep it to myself. Please, let's keep it between us, okay. <laughs> but in the last year I was really wrestling with, questions about nonfiction and contrasting that with the voice of my fiction. And I, I, I'm I'm in the, this is the 20th year of my career. That's my second decade. Um, You know, this will be the, my 14th novel. I mean, I, you know, okay. I've I've been here a minute. I've kind of done this a little bit and I, I have honed what I would call quote unquote, my voice. And I was wrestling with the Lord about, my voice in nonfiction. And I heard him, I was kind of, I kind of had my bottom lip poked out a little bit and my, I was kind of having a little bit of a pity party and it's a longer conversation, but I was wrestling with him about my voice because I feel like I've worked hard to craft my voice, which is different than every other voice on the planet. And I felt like he said, Charles, is my spirit in you? And there was a long silence. Well, yes, Lord. And then there was another long silence. And he said, well, then it's not your voice. 
Mm. And I was, I just, I was like, Lord, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so thankful you let me do what I get to do. And yes, you have given me, you know, what we can call my voice. But at the end of the day, it's not mine. Yeah. It's yours. I'm loose change. You spend me however you want. So I guess as I've wrestled in the last year with me, like what's the, what are the next two decades going to look like with me as a writer? And my prayer is, Lord, where do you, where do you want to spend your voice? What are the stories you want to tell and not mm-hmm. tell? Yeah. You know, maybe I've grown in my craft to where I can write a story that entertains, that does whatever, but is that the story he wants to tell? And then if I'm not close enough to him, I'm afraid I'll miss that. And I really don't want to, I really, I, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Anyway, that's where, that's what I've been wrestling with as a writer. Yeah. I think that helps so many of us to hear that even the pros wrestle as they go. You know, the people who are, who've been parenting for 20 years, the people who've been writing for 20 years, the people who've been in their job for 20 years, that it's just encouraging to go like, okay, even 20 years into this thing you thought you knew how to do, there can be moments where you have to reassess what does it look like for me to do this well. Totally. Next week on the podcast, what we're going to do is starting Sunday, Palm Sunday, until Easter, I'm going to read all we're doing on the podcast. We're not creating any new content next week. We're not releasing normal shows. I'm just going to read the scripture of what happened that day in the Bible. Mm, I love that. So will you kind of talk about, I mean, it, it'll make me tear even saying it to you, but we won't be gathering like we're used to gathering on Easter. And we won't be gathering like we're used to gathering on Palm Sunday. And can you just talk a little bit about Easter and Holy Week and what would it look like for us to embrace Easter in a different way? You know, in one sense, we'll probably gather, be gathering a lot more like those first believers did after the resurrection because they were holed up in this room, wherever that room was in Jerusalem. And they were holed up in fear with the door shut. They were in fear of Rome. Many of us are in fear of a virus that we can't see. But Jesus is still king. And I just, I think there's a, I think he is going to do a neat thing with his bride. He is jealous for us. Nothing's changed. And I think there will be some awesome things that come out of our time as we meet together. I think you'll see more small groups. I think you'll see people praying together that probably would not have otherwise. Yes, folks will do the whole social distancing thing and all. Okay, great. Do what you got to do. But I just think that we, we could very well be moving to a, 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 a church movement. And, and I'm for us meeting in huge groups. I love it. I love raising my hands with 3,000 people or whatever the number is in our church and, you know, in, in one service. And I love all that. Okay. I'm, I'm not knocking it. I love it. Yeah. But there may come a day and a time where we cannot do that to the extent that we've done it. And maybe this is a trial run and maybe the Lord is doing something in us and I know a lot of churches around the country have shifted very quickly on the fly to doing the live stream thing and meeting us in our homes and meeting us in small groups. And like our church is absolutely crushing it right now on being able to feed us live real time content. They haven't skipped a beat. Yeah. Say your church's name just so people can look it up. It's the church of 1122. I think on the app store, it's the COE22 app. 
And no, it's not the greatest church name in the world. <laughs> it came out of the time that the church started meeting because it's a long story. But anyway, it's the Church of 1122. Okay. You can find the app, download the sermons, do the live stream and all that sort of stuff. But I just feel like our team of people, Ryan Britt, Joby, all those people yeah. are just crushing it when it comes to being able to meet us in our living room with gathered around our families. And we like we sat here the other night and watched the service. And I, I turned to Ryan, who's sitting next to me, and I said, that's the best online service I've ever seen in the history of my life. Yeah. That's there's nothing lost. I mean, yeah. Joby is preaching his face off and the gospel yeah. is getting proclaimed and yep. and and the the name of Jesus is getting heralded. Yeah. And the right. the lost are being found. It's not we're not limited. It is an upgrade in our ability to reach people, isn't it? Cuz how many people were going to walk in our doors on that Sunday versus how many can we just live stream to? I, I think he told me the other night, like on a weekend, we might have 14 or 15,000 people come through our doors at all the different services at yeah. all our different locations. But at that one service, there were 30,000 people on unique individual oh little machines, iPhones, whatever, listening to that service. I mean, that's multiplication on a serious level. Yes. Wow. That's unbelievable. What will we? What will you we have more my- hope about Easter this year than maybe I do, or than maybe we would expect to, because it just feels like maybe the Lord's doing something brand new. My heart for me and my family is just sort of to circle the wagons. We've been busy. We got a lot going on. You know, I feel like our kids are kind of every which way and here and there. And Christy's working. I'm working. You know, books and. I just, I sort of want to circle the wagons. I want to bring them back kind of around the table. I want to serve communion to my family. I, I want to, I want to remind, I want to remind myself and them that the tomb is empty, yeah. that we worship a living King, that he's not pacing the halls of heaven, you know, popping in acids worried about us. Yeah. That's that, right. That he has a plan and, that he really has poured out his love into our hearts. And I, I think there are a lot of people that because we're now, we've removed a lot of the busyness. I think there could be a lot of people who do a lot of the same sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's encouraging to me is in the last couple of days, as Christy and I have walked outside and gone for walks just to get out of the house, I cannot yep. tell you the number of people that we have met in our neighborhood that we had no idea lived here. Yes. I mean, we're actually meeting people. And talking and and so there's there is great good to come from it. Is it yeah. you know, is it is it upending our idols? Sure. Is it challenging our comfort? Sure. Comfort may be one of our biggest idols though. Yeah, that you you can say that here. <laughs> That's probably true. It is particularly for me. from the host of this podcast. <laughs> it, it, it is for me. Yeah, you're right. And so this week, as people are slowing down, what about the people who that are listening that that this is the first Easter they're ever thinking about Jesus? What would you say to them about what they should look for this week and and pay attention to in Scripture and just in the world? Well, okay, this is going to seem a little bit self-serving, and I, I don't mean it that way, and I apologize for that. But in all honesty, I I I. I did the best I knew how to do. And what if it's true? 
And introducing the story of Jesus, both through the crucifixion and resurrection, and what it means for the tomb to actually be empty. And so if they're new to it, I mean, you know, check it out at the library, get it from a friend, do whatever, okay? But I just feel like it the, the, the way it's, and I'm not wanting to take people away from Scripture, go to Scripture first, okay? But if you're having trouble putting the pieces together, yes. maybe you could find it and what if it's true, and maybe that would help you. But Easter, or what we call Easter, is really us remembering the story that the the Son of God, begotten, not made, chose willingly to come on a rescue mission for a bunch of created rebels like us because we had a, amassed a debt ledger of sin that we could not pay for in 10,000 lifetimes. Mm-hmm. So he looked at his father before the foundation of the earth and he said, Dad, I'm going to go pay their fine. And I think the father said, with what? And Jesus squeezes and he said, I'm going to pay it with all that I got, which is my blood. Mm-hmm. And so then he disrobes, he takes off his crown, he places his diadem in the corner, takes his ring off, folds up his priestly garb, and he takes a swan dive out of heaven and ends up here in a gooey mess, born in a probably a stone stable through blood and water and humbles himself to become a man who grows into this savior of the world. And yes, he is both man and God simultaneously. He's not one or the other. He is both king of kings and a man like us. And then he just lives this righteous, sinless life. And the authorities are afraid of him. And because he calls himself the son of God, they strap him to a tree and kill him. And that the shedding of that blood for reasons I don't pretend to really understand fully. And I'm not sure I've ever been around someone who really understands fully the reason that God the Father requires blood for payment of sin. Yes, I understand the whole Old Testament thing, but like, why? I don't, I don't understand. All I know is that that's his requirement. And Jesus fulfilled that requirement. He is the propitiation for my sin, the payment that satisfies. And so when he stretched out his arms on that cross and pushed up on his nail-pierced feet and said, Tetelestai, which means it is finished, he's quoting Psalm 22 there, what's finished? He has fulfilled the law and made payment in full, and that is for everyone who would cry out, Jesus, I believe that you are who your word says you are and who you tell me that you are and that that is that you are the Son of God, and I am betting my life I am entrusting my life to you. I'm submitting entirely all my rights, all my privileges to your righteous reign and your sovereign dominion. And when we do that, he transfers us miraculously out of the kingdom of darkness where we were aiding and abetting the enemy into the kingdom of the son of his love. And not only that, in the craziest, most illogical thing ever, he calls us brother introduces us to his father and gives us the right to become his children. And for those of us who do, we become heirs to the king, which right. I think if we really understood that would make our fuzzy little heads blow up. <laughs> right. right. Uh, that's, that's what we are celebrating. We're celebrating that death, that crucifixion, that payment, that resurrection, that empty tomb, that, Spirit that has been sent to us, which was the prom and is the promise of the Father. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Yeah. And so for someone who's listening that 
wants to connect with Jesus like that? How do they do that? Well, pastor is Charles Martin. Come on, pastor. I would suggest on on our knees would be a great place. And it's a surrendering. Really, when we come to Jesus, we come with all our sin and all our baggage. And we say, look, I know I'm a long way from you. I, I, I have lived this life for me. It has not panned out too well. I'm in a mess of my own making. I'm in a prison and I cannot unlock this door. Mm-hmm. And so I confess, Jesus, that I am in dire need of you. I can't fix this. There's nothing I can do to fix me. I'm not, I'm not somebody who's in need of improvement. I'm, I'm in need of a resurrection. Right. I'm in need of a new life. So I'm looking to you and I yield completely. I repent. I, I call you King and Lord. I, I cry out, Jesus, would you please snatch down? Save a sinner like me. And the amazing thing does is that when we do that, he does. He does. For reasons that are unfathomable. I mean, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. That's you. His word says all of us have fallen short. Each one of us has turned astray. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags, as Isaiah says. None of us has... None of us has gotten this thing figured out. We are just rebels, just prodigals. And we basically thumbed our nose at the Father and said, you're dead to me. But the, he loves us with the love that I just can't fathom. And even when we did all that, he laid down his life for us. So that when we get there and we turn around and we say, Father, I'm so sorry, he lifts us up and he draws us into his arms and he says, my child, it's that it is an it is an illogical transaction that the king of the universe who spoke all of this into existence, who fashioned all things, who upholds all things by the word of his power, who literally made you and me out of the dust of the earth then pressed his nostril, his lips to our nostrils and breathed in the Ruach of God, making us a living, breathing soul, would die for his own creation that betrayed him. Yeah. It makes no sense, but it is the most beautiful, radical, life-changing, world-shattering love story in the history of story. And it's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah, when we look at the world we're living in right now and we think, this doesn't make any sense, it's a good reminder to go, yeah, it never has. <laughs> it never has. His kindness has never made any sense. <laughs> the way this world works has never made any sense. I love it. Okay, well, listen, Charles Martin, I just love you. Thank you, thank you. I am so grateful for you and your family and how y'all have cared for me. I don't know. Uh, look, I'm you. you're a blessing to all of us. You're a blessing to all these people listening. I know you can, I'm not blowing snow. You have a beautiful anointing for such a time as this. I pray that the Lord really bless you and protect you. Thank you. Hey, you know, the last question I have to ask you, it's part of the deal because the show is called, that sounds fun. Charles, tell me what you do for fun. Oh my goodness. Are y'all having any fun right now? We got to, we have to have it. Six weeks ago, I had shoulder surgery. Yeah, that's right. It would be like, it would appear that football was not kind to me. And, um, (laughs) or to my shoulder and I'm trying to work my way back to being able to pull back my bow. But, um, in all seriousness, I'm, I'm 
like my, I'm able to work out again and it, my yeah. shoulder doesn't hurt. And I know that sounds crazy to people, but it is actually fun to be able to go, you know, pull on bands and lift weights and all that sort of yeah. stuff. All right. So that's one thing. I'm not, I'm not the guru at this, but I am trying to be more intentional with just Christy and I'm marking time. So we have these afternoon walks that we do around our neighborhood and I love that yeah. time with her. Um, now that the boys are doing virtual school, or at least they're telling me they're doing virtual school, <laughs> they um, are here more and we're around them. John T is walking through the house, playing his music. And I, oh. I, love, I love the sound of John T in the house. I love the sound of his music in my house too. I mean, people have got, we'll link to it, but his stuff is so good. We put out an EP or whatever you want to call it here a couple of weeks ago. And I've got it on like loop. And I know he's my son. I'm biased, all that. But. Well, he's not my son and I've got it on loop. So (laughs) (laughs) that's true for all of us who get to hear it. I I love, I love that a lot of the busyness has been removed. Yeah. And we're kind of stuck with one another. And I love that we're getting to hang out and, um. You know, last night the boys and I started watching the TV miniseries Band of Brothers. Yeah. Because we could. And I love being with them and cutting up. So, yeah. There's some of what we're doing for fun. They're some of my favorite people. Will you tell those boys and Christy hi for me? I will. I will. All right. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to cover? I don't know. We've been talking like an hour and a half. That's probably enough. We have time. Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for doing this. I'm so grateful. I'm grateful. Thank you for having me back. I really, I mean it. And I I do pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you and protect you and make his face shine upon you and give you his peace. I mean that. Oh, friends, don't you love him? I just love him. Just feels like the peace of God is with us when we get to listen to Charles talk about him, doesn't it? I hope you enjoyed today and it just is real interesting to plan forward for next week, knowing God knew the timing of all of this. He knew the timing of all of it. And and we will celebrate Holy Week and we will celebrate Easter and we will look to the risen King to make things right. So again, I just want to remind you, make sure you get a copy of Charles's book, What If It's True? And go ahead and pre-order The Water Keeper that comes out on May 5th. I am Really excited to read it. Really, really annoyed with John T for not getting it to me yet, but I pre-ordered it on Amazon as well. So it'll get to my house just in time. And make sure you give Charles a follow on Instagram and Twitter. Tell him thanks for being on the show. On Instagram, he is storied career. And friends, we also just want to say thanks again to our partners, International Justice Mission. Y'all know they're the largest anti-slavery organization in the world. They work to rescue people out of slavery and sex trafficking and walk with survivors until they're restored and thriving in freedom. It's been so fun to partner with them these last couple of weeks because they really feel like it is their special privilege in this time to be sharing their brightest stories of hope with the world and to remind us all that on the other side of tragedy, there is hope. That's what we've been talking about, right? Life, death, and resurrection. And today I want to share one of those stories with you. So this is the story of Mutka, who at 18 years old was exploited into the sex trade by someone in her community in South Asia. And she was trapped in that abuse for over a year. But in July 2009, IJM and local authorities helped rescue her from a brothel in a notorious red light area. And that's when her story of hope began. And now Mutka has been happily married for five years to Sanjay, who she met when they worked together at a bag making shop. 
And today she stays home to take care of their five-year-old son. Mutka has hope. She hopes to open a bakery of her own someday and support her family. And she dreams of getting her son a good education and building a successful career. Uh, Stories like Mutka's give us hope, y'all. And the world needs to hear hopeful stories right now. She was once trapped in an abuse that seemed unending, and now she's free and thriving. And that is what transformation looks like. And it is so powerful. You can read and share more stories like this at ijm.org slash hope with us. And also make sure you're following IJM on Instagram so you can see videos and pictures. It is one of my favorite accounts to follow. Again, that's the letters IJM. People need stories that make them smile and that remind them that hope is waiting on the other side of tragedy. So head over to IJM.org slash hope with us. And I just want to remind you one more time what next week will look like. You will get There are no um, TSF quarantine shows next week. There are no normal That Sounds Fun shows next week. But every day, starting on Sunday, a little podcast episode will drop into your feed with the Bible story that correlates with that exact day in Scripture between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. So whether this is your first time ever hearing the story of Jesus's last week before his crucifixion, or if you've heard it a million times, I hope you will listen along. Um, with me as we read and hear that story all of next week. If you need anything else from me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, my house, all the places you may need me. That is how you can find me. And I think that's it for today, friends. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you. And we will technically see you back for a normal That Sounds Fun show on Monday, April 13th. I hope you have a really great day. I hope you'll find ways to celebrate this holy week. And I'm really thankful that we get this time together. This podcast has been such a gift to me, and I am really, really thankful that we are here together. So I hope you have a great week, and we will see you on Sunday. Bye.